right, right in verse one of chapter two, Luke chapter two, verse one, it says this, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Uh, verse five, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. So we know this, they go to the town of Bethlehem. The, the name Bethlehem means this, house of bread. And so it's, it's a neat picture, just that understanding of saying, this is called the house of bread. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. This town is a, this, a place that, that pictures provision and supply and sustenance. Verse six, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So we get this picture, it's Mary with her precious baby, her firstborn, she's wrapped that little one up, swaddled, swaddled him in cloths. I remember we had to learn that skill. You know, that's a skill you have to learn to swaddle a baby. And when you're a new parent, she swaddled that new one, probably all awkward and worried that she's gonna hurt his arm or whatever it's gonna be and laid him in that manger because there's no room for him in the inn. I just imagine, you know, just, I don't think that it ever crossed the imagination of Mary that before her time would come, he would be swaddled again in cloths. And he'd be laid in a tomb, not in a manger because this, this idea of no room for him in the inn just becomes the theme for the life of Jesus. The savior of the world. Verse eight says this. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, Bethlehem was just six miles from Jerusalem. And here's the thing about Bethlehem. It's called the house of bread. It's this picture of the place of provision. But there were shepherds there because the town of Bethlehem was known for this. This is where lambs were raised for sacrifice in the temple. So, Lots of shepherds there, lots of sheep in Bethlehem. Amazing, of course, that this would be the place of the birth of Jesus, right? The Lamb of God who would give his life for the sins of the world. Verse 9 says this, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Now that word appeared, it means this. It means to come into sight, to become visible, to materialize out of nowhere, to just appear, this physical appearance. Now we know this, you, angels are something that we don't see. I mean, maybe, maybe you might see an angel. That's, I don't know. I've never seen an angel. They, they exist in this invisible realm that we are unable to see with our physical human sight. I remember, you remember the story in the Old Testament where there's an army coming against the, God's people, the Israelites, and the prophet uh, is there with his assistant. It's Elijah or Elisha. And uh, the prophet's assistant makes some comments about this vast army coming and the prophet prays and he says, Lord, open his eyes to see what's surrounding. And his eyes are open and he sees this vast army of angels with God's people coming against the enemy. And 
angels are interesting because we, we don't see them. They function in this invisible realm. And really when we think about it, I have to think because Jesus is present here with us this morning that angels are present. Like if the Lord was to open our eyes and we were to see into the realm of the spirit, there would be angels present here with us this morning. The scripture says that they work on behalf of their ministering spirits sent to serve those who are going to inherit salvation, that they, that they work on our behalf. And there's a host of heaven here, you have to think, with us this morning, loving that we're singing Emmanuel, loving that we're singing about Jesus, the light of the world. And so these angel, this angel appears. Now in the scripture, we see different spots, different times where angels appear to individuals. In fact, there's three situations in the scripture where the same word appear is used in the Old Testament. It's with the story of Moses, the story of Gideon, and the story of Samson's mother, Manoah's wife. Angels appeared to them. Uses that word. The Bible uses that word. And in, in, in each instance, the natural... Oh, the phone's ringing. It's usually somebody's cell phone, not the church phone. They're like, what time does church start? Well, you're late. <laughs> in each instance where... People had angels appear to them or an angel appear to them. The reaction instantly was fear, terror. It was, I'm going to die. And, uh, and each time that happened, the message of this angel, this messenger from heaven was this. First thing they always say is what? Fear not. Fear not. Angel appears and the Lord and terror comes over this person and the angel says, fear not. Think about when, when these angels appeared in the Old Testament, it was always in, with the message that God was about to do a great work of deliverance. You think about Moses. People of Israel were in bondage, in slavery, in Egypt. Or Gideon. The Israelites were living in total fear, terrorized by the Midianites, being robbed of their food and their harvest and everything. Or Manoah's wife, the people of Israel were oppressed by the hand of the Philistines. And, and in each instance, the message that was brought to these individuals from the angel was one of hope and deliverance. That God is going to send a deliverer. The Lord is going to come and he's going to bring in a, a fresh work of deliverance amongst his people. And for deliverance to happen, what do you need? You, you, you need a deliverer. And in each one of these Old Testament instances of angelic appearances, the word of the Lord through the angelic messenger to the servant of God was this. God is raising up a deliverer. Moses, you're going to go. Gideon, you're going to serve me. Manoah's wife, we don't know her name from scripture. You're going to have a son. You're the name of Samson. He'll be committed to the Lord. We flip to the New Testament and, and Joseph was a one, another person who had angelic visitations that he experienced. But for him it was different. It wasn't the appearance of an angel. Rather what happened to him was in dreams. In dreams he'd be sleeping at night and the Lord would communicate to him. An angel would come and bring a message to him. Uh, many times, a few times that happens in the, in the Christmas story. When, when Joseph discovered that Mary was pregnant, the scripture tells us that he was considering what he should do, that he was a righteous and just man. And he decided that he was going to divorce 
her quietly, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, and the scripture says this, that the angel said to him, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, for what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Angel speaks to him in his dream. Another time the scripture tells us about was after Jesus was born. Herod had begun the manhunt for this little king in Bethlehem and he had sent those who would kill all the little baby boys under the age of two and an angel again appeared to Joseph in his dream and warned him, you need to get out of here. Go to Egypt until I tell you to come back to the land of Israel. That, that's where the third dream happened for Joseph where an angel visited him in his dream. It was in Egypt. And he was there, and there in that dream, uh, the Lord told him Herod had passed away. The angel told him that. And you're to come out of Egypt to fulfill the scripture. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Rise and go to the land of Israel. And the Lord told him, the angel told him, go to the land of Galilee. Establish your home and your family in, in the community of Nazareth, the town called Nazareth, because it's prophesied he will be called a Nazarene. And so Joseph had these angelic experiences, but in dreams. Another one in the Christmas story is the story of, of Zechariah. You remember him, the, the, the priest who was the father of John the Baptist. He'd been selected by lot to go into the temple to present to uh, the Lord uh, prayer and to burn incense before him. And as he prayed in the presence of the Lord and burned his incense, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Imagine, like uh, one of the things we don't totally get about that is that he's in total seclusion. He's by himself inside the temple. Just all of a sudden there's someone else there with him, an angel. And he's startled, he's gripped with fear. And just like the pattern that we see all throughout scripture with Moses and Gideon and Samson mother, Samson, Samson's mother, the first thing the angelic messenger communicates to Zechariah is this, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Uh, though your wife is barren, though her, her womb is dry, the Lord says this, I'm going to, uh, a son will be conceived and he will be great and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit and he will turn the hearts of the children of Israel back to the Lord and he will go before the Lord in the spirit and in the power of Elijah. He'll turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, the disobedient to the to the wisdom of righteousness, and he will make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And John the Baptist was that. He was a, a spiritual deliverer, so to speak, for the nation of Israel, preparing their hearts, turning them from, helping them turn from, from sin to repentance and making straight the highway for the coming of the ultimate deliverer, Zechariah. So the angel appears to him. You got Mary, we know that an angel appeared to Mary. I'll just read to you right from Luke chapter one. You can follow along if you want, verse 26. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. 
And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus and he will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom, there will be no end. So even with Mary, the pattern's repeated. This angel appears, fear grips her. There's this message, don't fear. God is going to use you. There's going to be a deliverer born through your womb. And so the pattern's the same. You know, you got Moses, you got Gideon, Manoah's wife, Zechariah, Mary. God sent this messenger with this news of deliverance. Well, in Luke chapter 2, we see it happen again. And this time, it's to a group of shepherds, lowly shepherds. Angel appears. Now shepherds are like, we love shepherds. You know, Christians just love shepherds. We think shepherds are like the coolest thing. We're like, whoa, Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. And we're like, wow, that's great. You know, look at a shepherd's so amazing. They like tend to little sheep. They care for them. They, they go after the lost. They, they water them. They lead them to water and they lead them to green pastures and they protect the sheep from you know, creatures that are going to make an easy meal out of them. Jesus is the good shepherd. We love shepherds. It's a great picture of caring and nurturing and, and the tending nature of God. But the reality is this, is that in that culture, being a shepherd was not a prized occupation. Moses became a shepherd because it was like he just had to survive in the desert after he'd run away from the house of Egypt. David was a shepherd, but David was the youngest of seven brothers who like, his dad didn't even remember where he was or that he had a seventh son when the prophet Samuel came looking for him. He's just like, oh, he's off looking after the sheep. First time I went to Israel, we had this, uh, this Jewish guide and he was a, a New Yorker originally, uh, a real, like a, like a true New Yorker, true New Yorker Jude, like just, uh, you know, just whatever stereotype you want to lay on there, you can lay it on there. It's safe to do with that one. And so I asked him, you know, I'm like, oh, shepherds, you know, that's like so cool, you know, and I was asking him about the occupation of a shepherd. And I just come with this like innocent question and he literally sneered at me and he said, Jews don't look after sheep. Seriously. So he said, this is what Bedouins do. Because the truth is that there was nothing desirable in that culture regarding being a shepherd. You know, if you had written the Christmas story, if you were the author of the Christmas story, you would not have written shepherds into the story. You wouldn't have. You wouldn't have. You have to understand the culture of the time. Shepherds were dirty. Shepherds lived in fields with animals, with livestock, right? It's like take a shower once in a while. Normal people have a roof over their head. And there you are sleeping out, you know, in the wilderness, in the fields. And so, you know, in our culture, we love to glorify the picture of a shepherd. We think it's like righteous work. It wasn't. It was anything but. And it's interesting that the angel appears to shepherds. But that's the gospel. That right there is the good news. It doesn't exclude. It doesn't begin with people that are in 
white towers and are high and lofty and high-minded. The gospel is the story of God becoming a man and he descended from the height of heaven and he humbled himself and he took on flesh to save us from our sin. And he began with those who smelt like barnyard animals. He was born in a barn. Like our Savior was born in a barn, laid in a manger. And the first who came to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who was sustaining the very universe by his words, were lowly shepherds. There's a reason why we say lowly shepherds. And so look with me at verse 10 of Luke chapter 2. To the shepherds, the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you this day in the city of David a Savior, sorry, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So here's these shepherds keeping watch over their flock by night, as we like to sing. And this angel appears to them from the unseen realm of the Spirit. This angel becomes visible to, materializes and becomes visible to the human eye. And the scripture says the glory of the Lord shone around them. And their reaction was a normal human reaction. They were terrified. Fear. You know, fear is that self-preserving, God-engineered emotion that grips our hearts. In fact, the King James says something really interesting. It says that they were sore afraid. Sore afraid. That's the old English. They were sore afraid. You think about what that means. They were sore afraid. That means that fear so gripped these guys that there was pain involved in it. That it hurt them. That they were gripped with fear. It throbbed. It ached. It seized their hearts. It grabbed their minds. And this wasn't like, oh wow, look, an angel. This was, I am going to die. In fact, the original language, I mentioned this last week, is this. In the Greek. Megas, phobio, phobos. Hey, we recognize some of those words. It means to be struck with terror. This is a fear that's so great that the original language uses two variations of the word fear and adds the adjective mega. 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 Megas, phobio, phobos. You think about these Bible characters that we know and love. Moses, Gideon, Samson's mother and father. None of them. Oh, wow, look, an angel. You know, said, I'm going to die. You know, I often wonder, I often think, like, you know, you hear accounts of, like, sometimes people cl claiming that they've seen angels. And, I, I mean, I'm not discrediting, discrediting that, but, you know, in the scripture, that's, like, a terrifying thing. That's not, like, woohoo, that was really sweet. That's, like, that's terror. That's terror. That's how I'm going to die. And each time in the scripture, we see that the angel speaks and says, fear not. Fear not. To shepherds seized with fear so great that it 
that it was manifesting physically in their bodies in pain, the angel said, fear not. Behold, I bring good news of great joy that's for all people. What, what, what does that mean? It means this. Fear has gripped you. Well, don't fear. Rather than fear, grip this. Behold, take hold of this. I bring you good news of great joy. You know, that's what the Lord does, right? The Lord just doesn't, he doesn't say don't. You know, that's what I say to my kids. That's what you say to your kids. Don't, don't do that. Don't touch that. Don't say that. Don't, don't. Why, dad? Because I said so. Because I'm your father, right? That's not what the Lord says. He's not like that. When he says fear not, what he offers is an exchange, a trade, a swap. He says fear has gripped you. Now you grip this. Fear has taken hold of you, but I want you to take hold of this. Grip this instead. Behold what I am telling you, the angel says. There's terror in your heart. There's pain in your body, but now seize this. Let your heart and mind see that I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Behold it. You know, fear really does seize, seize us, right? I mean, fear can, you know, take the form of anxiety. Fear can take the form of worry. But crazy, we see in the scripture here that fear can actually take the form of physical pain in your body. You can ache, you can hurt. And it can get a grip on you. And God does not want you to live a life controlled and manipulated by fear. And I think the Christmas story teaches us a great principle for having victory over fear. Behold, take hold of good news. Take hold of good news. Fear has enslaved you? Well, the Egyptians enslaved Israel. God raised up a deliverer, Moses. The Midianites stole from the Israelites and God and robbed them and robbed them of their food and the spoils of their hard work and God raised up a deliverer, Gideon. For generations, the Philistines terrorized the Israelites and God raised up Samson as their deliverer. Good news, great joy, something else can grip you. This day a savior is born, he is Christ the Lord. Savior means deliverer. This is the announcement of a deliverer. And, and there's to be no confusion as to his identity as the angel speaks this. It's, this is him. This is the one. This is the one you've been looking for. This, this is the one who has your hopes. It, it, the word of God is fulfilled. This is the answer to your longing. A savior is born. He is Christ the Lord. King Jesus. The Messiah. The anointed. Emmanuel. The light of the world. He's a rescuer. He's a liberator. He's a champion. He's an emancipator. He's King Jesus. And he will save his people from their sin, the angel announced. I mean, I love that. Because this time, the enemy's not Egypt. The enemy is not the Midianites. The enemy is not the Philistines. And the deliverer is not a stuttering Moses who needs someone else to speak for him. The deliverer is not waffling Gideon who doesn't know if he's coming or going. The deliverer is not a womanizing Samson 
This time the enemy is death, sin and death. And this time the deliverer is the Lord himself. Emmanuel, God with us. What was the message? Isaiah 61 says this. Describing Jesus. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. You know, Isaiah prophesied about this Messiah, Christ the Lord, and he said this in Isaiah 50 verse 4 of Jesus. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with the word him who is weary. I love that verse. Jesus has the tongue that can sustain your weariness. He can speak a word to it and you'll be comforted. You'll find peace. You'll you'll find hope. The long-awaited Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, King Jesus. And who was the message given to? Lowly shepherds. Just shepherds. And the good news was so great, the angel said this. You know, what should the Lord do? What will be the sign? We talked about the signs last week. What will be the sign? What sign shall I give these guys to to let them know that the word of the Lord is true? I don't know. Should the snake, should the staff become a snake? Should Should the shadow move back 10 steps on the stairwell? Should I send some plague of flies or locusts or shall they shall I tell them they're going to worship at Mount Sinai or shall I tell them like I did Saul the missing donkeys have been found or shall I send prophets who will give them bread what shall be the sign that I will give the Bethlehem shepherds and it was this verse 12 and this will be the sign for you you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger Unusual place to find a baby, right? Like, we just know that. that This is an unusual place. Should not the, the king of kings and the lord of lords be born in a palace among kings? You know, his name shall be called Jesus. And at his name, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess in heaven and on, and on earth and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And what did God see fit to do? To lay him where no baby should be laid. In a feeding trough. In a barn. A stable. With the animals. But then verse 13. Come back to the scene of the shepherds. And suddenly. There was with the angel. A multitude of the heavenly hosts. Praising God and saying. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace. Among those with whom he is pleased. So, if, you know, if one angel didn't freak you out, how about a whole multitude? 
That's what happens here. Forget the single angel. That's not enough now for what's going on. This isn't Moses. This isn't Gideon. This, is, this isn't Samson's birth. This is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. This is the deliverer, King Jesus. And suddenly there's a multitude. That's a, that's a large number. It's a host of heaven. And this is significant. They're praising God and they're saying glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace among the, amongst those with whom he is pleased. Remember when the disciples came to Jesus and they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And, and Jesus taught them what we call the Lord's Prayer. And it starts this way. Our Father who is in heaven. It begins in heaven. It starts from heaven and then it begins to make its way down. If you study the Lord's Prayer, you understand that about it. It's like you focus on the worship, you focus towards heaven, and then you come to earthly needs and earthly concerns. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the order of the prayers from heaven to earth, that should be our attitude. And as this multitude began to worship, that was their attitude. They praised the Lord and the direction of their praise was towards heaven. From heaven to earth. To heaven they sang this, glory to God in the highest. That's, a, that's an incredible statement. Like it's way beyond my ability to understand or even explain. Like we say those things, but we don't often understand what all is involved with saying glory to God in the highest. And as these angels proclaimed it. For us, it just rolls off our tongues and we forget what, what it's all about. Angels were praising God, saying glory to God in the highest. The word glory speaks of their opinion of God. How they estimate him. The judgment they make about him. And this, this angelic host was, was making of God and his most excellent character. Uh, this statement as they considered the incarnation. Emmanuel, God with us. They said glory to God in the highest. And so here you have the host of heaven. And we don't understand it, but on some level way beyond ours, they've beheld the eternal triune God. They've seen God in his heavenly glory. They know Jesus outside of this physical realm that we live in. They've experienced his presence in eternity. And in their mind, there is no confusion with regards to this baby who is lying in the manger. They're not wondering about his identity. They know who it is. And that's interesting because, you know, as human beings, we sometimes we're confused about Jesus. Confused about his identity. Confused maybe question his love. We question the incarnation. We question the virgin birth. We maybe question the legitimacy of the claim that God could become a man. But there was no questions from the angels. No confusion on their part. They had seen the living God. They had seen the creator of the universe in his most exalted state, seated on the throne of heaven. They had heard the worship of the seraphim that we read about in Isaiah 6, who night and day cry out, holy, 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 holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is full of his glory. 
They understood the identity of that little baby that was wrapped there in cloths. And they understood that no man could ascend into heaven. So God had to descend to earth. Cloak all of his glory in human flesh. They understood that the voice that sustains the universe, the entire universe, was veiled in the flesh of that little baby lying in a manger. And with all these things in mind, the angelic hosts made a judgment about God. They sang their opinion and with one voice the multitude sang, glory to God in the highest. Magnificence to him. Excellence. Preeminence. Dignity. Grace. Majesty. Honor belongs to you. Respect belongs to you, King of heaven. In the highest of forms, your glory is tall. Your glory is towering. The ocean is deep and the mountains are high, but you, King of heaven, are the Everest of glory. Glory in the highest. There's no higher glory. Scripture tells us that the heavens cannot contain him. That the starry host, the sun and the moon, they bow before him. That the earth is his footstool. and That eternity is his dwelling place. And the psalmist says, and what is man that you are mindful of him? Glory to God in the highest. Power, riches, Strength are yours. Excellence, praise, grace are yours. Honor, respect, majesty are yours. Dignity, preeminence, sovereignty are yours. Glory to God in the highest. The baby lying in a manger. And their praise went from heaven to earth. Praise of the angels moved in that direction and they said, on earth... Peace, peace to men on whom his favor rests. It's a message of deliverance. It's the story of a deliverer. And the message is this, peace to, to men. Peace is harmony, right? The harmony of your soul. The tranquil state of your soul that's assured, that rests in the salvation of the Lord. Fearing nothing, content with whatever earthly lot You've been given. And, and I think about peace. I just think peace has to be what every heart desires to just have rest. You don't have assurance in your soul. You know that you can have that? You can have assurance in your soul. You, know, you, can, you might think to yourself, well, I don't, I don't know who God is. I don't know about Jesus. I don't know the character of God. I don't know what the intentions of God are. Well, I want to tell you, with the Christmas story this morning, you can put to rest, you can put to bed all your questions as regard to the Lord's intentions towards you. You can know with rest and assurance in your soul who God is, what his character is, and what his intentions towards you are because all of those questions are answered in the person of Jesus Christ who was lying in that manger. And the, ten, the intentions of God are this, they're singular. Peace. Peace. 
It's nice when you think of this Christmas season and just chaos. This world, peace. How would you like that? Peace. Peace with God. Peace of God. How wonderful it is to know that God's intentions towards you and me are singular and they're this, that we would have peace. That we'd have peace with him and we'd experience that peace in our own hearts. Goodwill toward man. No ill will. No hidden intention. Not harm. Not hostility. Goodwill. Peace. To those on whom his favor rests. Favor. You know, I, I, you ever been in those situations where you just, you're like, man, I don't fit in here. I don't belong. <laughs> Maybe you end up at some Christmas party. Uh, I, a couple memories Lisa and I have over the years are being invo- invited to this New Year's party, kind of like we were the late additions, and then just showing up and knowing, wow, the plans weren't for us to be here. We don't fit. We don't belong. And it couldn't be any more clear. <laughs> or, you know, I always think, and I, I've used this illustration several times uh, for, for me and my boys, you know, when we've gone into the city for a hockey game, showing up at Hollyburn Country Club for a hockey game. If you ever want to feel like you don't fit in and you don't belong, that's the whole reason that place has been developed. Let you know you don't fit here. You don't belong. Like, just try and get into that building. You know, you enter, you, you come onto the property and it's like, oh, you're a visitor? Your parking's down here, you know? It's like, how do you get in here? I don't know. You have to, like, grab a door when, when someone who actually has a legitimate membership is opening a door, and then you navigate this. It's like everything is designed to tell me you don't fit. You don't belong. You're not one of us. You're not welcome. Not Jesus. People, not Jesus. His offer is this. Come to me. Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. His offer is peace. Peace to all on whom, on whom his favor rests. The, the, the translation here is interesting in this. I, I, don't, I don't like it. The ESV says, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And I think that's a, I think that's a lousy trans, translation of the angelic announcement. Because it gives this impression that peace is only available for those with whom God is pleased. It's like, well, what if you feel like, I don't think God's pleased with me. Peace is not available to me. The NIV says it way better. On earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Or the King James says, on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. What, what that tells me is that there is, that there is peace available for all who would come to Jesus. This is not an exclusive message. It's an inclusive message. It's come to Jesus. And it's a message for all men on whom his favor rests. You know God's favor is on your life? Did you know that? That God's favor is on your life. Like, well, I don't, are you sure? I don't feel his favor. You know, maybe you feel like that. Maybe you, you don't know Jesus. You've never surrendered your life to him. Never repented of, of sin and turned in faith to him and confessed him as, as Lord. But you need to know this. His favor is on your life even if you don't know him. 
Well, I don't know. I don't, I don't sense God's favor. Well, here's how I know God's favor is on your life. Here's how I know, okay? Because there's breath in your lungs and you are hearing about Jesus. You are being, being proclaimed to you is the same message the angels proclaimed to the shepherds on that day. And he said, there's favor upon you because you're hearing about Jesus. And to each one here, I would tell you there's favor upon you because you are hearing about this Savior, Jesus, this deliverer who's come to save you from sin and death. He is the ultimate expression of God's love. And the desire of God to know you and to be known by you is communicated to us in his son Jesus. We couldn't ascend into heaven. So he descended and he came to us, Emmanuel, God with us. Verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. So let's go see it. That's what they said. I just think that's the proper response to what God has done. That's the proper response. Well, let's go. Let's go find out for ourselves. Verse 16. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Remember, this will be the sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And, and, and the verb that's used to describe their response to the angelic words is this, haste, man. They got going. They got on top of it. They went with haste and they found things exactly as they had been told. And they experienced peace. And they worshipped. And verse 17, when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Love verse 19. Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. You know, when you think about the Christmas story, I, I want to just leave you with this challenge to do the very thing that Mary did, to treasure this story in your heart to treasure what is said about Jesus in your heart, to ponder these things in your heart, to weigh them, to consider them, and to begin to apply them to your life. This child, he became a man, crucified, died on a cross, buried in a tomb, rose from the dead, ascended to heaven and he's coming again for his children to take us to be with him that we might be where he is. Church, God's heart towards you is peace. His heart towards you is peace. Would you be open to receive it? Let's